Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church. Welcome to our Sunday School Hour. And uh, we're glad that you are here. Hope you're having a great week and enduring the heat. I uh, get a little bit tickled at uh, people that you watch on uh, news and weather and all of that. And they act like it's never been hot in Oklahoma in August before, but uh, here we are. And uh, we'll make it through and we're almost into fall and things will cool down and then we can gripe about the cold weather. Uh, we're never happy, are we? And we really have a lot to rejoice in and we certainly ought to do it. And I rejoice in you. I rejoice that we had this opportunity and rejoice that you're here and rejoice that you're going to be teaching and, and uh, praise God for you. And so let's take a look into uh, God's word. Now, our lesson here is going to be presented on August 27th, 2023. The title is Salvation Gave You a new status. And we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Let me read the introduction here and then make a few comments on that. The Judaizers acted as if they had, quote, inside knowledge, kind of like an insider trading thing at the stock market, and that they had the, quote, unquote, secret to knowing and to pleasing God. I mean, you're, you're minor league, in other words, they would say to the Galatians. And if you would just listen to us, then you would know the secret. Boy, we've found the secret. Everybody wants a secret. I heard a preacher point out one time that back in the days when you would uh, go to the checkout stand of the grocery stores and uh, they had the National Enquirer and I, I can't remember all of them, but all the tabloids that were up there, the ones that seem to grab your attention the most is the secret diet of the stars or the secret things that rich people know that no one else knows. And we always kind of have this idea that we just don't have quite enough knowledge. And if we knew the secret, there's a trick somewhere. There's some little thing that'll make you lose weight or get in shape or have a head full of hair or make a lot of money or those kind of things. Well, that's kind of what the Judaizers were holding out. They were kind of the National Enquirer uh, instead of the Bible. And uh, they were going, we've got the secret. We've found the secret. You don't know the secret. Kind of a, uh, you, have you ever heard a little kid go, I know something you don't know or something like that? It's kind of the way they were acting on all of this. Now, Paul argues that the Judaizers are childish, they're not really mature. And that's one of the things, I mean, think about when you watch little kids and you see a little girl that puts on uh, high heels that are way too big for her. And then she puts on necklaces that are way too long for her and wears dresses that are really big for her, you know, playing dress up like they do. And then she walks around like she's the Queen of England and that kind of thing. Well, that's kind of the way the Judaizers were. They were putting on things that didn't work and didn't fit and didn't look right, didn't seem right because they weren't right, because they were just pretending to know something no one else knew. So Paul argues that they're childish, that they're actually limited in their understanding. That's why he takes the time to go back to the Old Testament and say, oh, you're so big on the law, the Old Testament. You haven't even read it. You don't even understand it because if you did, you would know. And then he lines all of that out, right? And uh, he points out that they're actually enslaved. 
What they believed and what they were teaching and what they were saying that other people needed to do was not something that was going to change them or set them free, but it actually put them under more bondage. And the truth be known, if we could dig down into the heart of the Judaizers, they probably didn't like it any more than the Galatians did, but it was their way of controlling, manipulating, and appearing to be something that they're not. Now, folks, our faith, our religion, our beliefs, our doctrines, our convictions must never be used to manipulate other people or to exalt us over other people. I know something you don't know. I remember um, somebody uh, years ago that when um, I, I came here to this church is before I was pastor for a conference or something. Maybe I was speaking. I don't know. And a guy came up to me. He was a prominent man in the church at that time. And he said, oh, man, I'm so glad that you're here to come to real church for a change. You see, that's not what we're all about. And that's not what we should be. And we can't believe it when other people, even if they say that about us, um, it's only a matter of pleasing God that uh, that's what the point really is. And so the Judaizers could look at something and say, we have the real inside track. Well, we can believe the doctrines of grace and we can believe the inerrancy of scripture, but if we're not living it, what good is it? If our attitude is wrong, what good is it? Okay, we've got to love Jesus and we've got to be submissive to him. This is not just all academic and it's not just all dress up playtime that we put on the, uh, the high heels that are too big that we can't really walk in, but we try to pretend that we can. This is not what this is all about. Paul is arguing for realism. He's arguing for the genuine faith of the gospel here and he wants them to grasp it and to understand it. Now, going on in the introduction, the Galatians, however, were liberated in Christ. They were indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and they had the status as adult heirs of God. Adult heirs of God. We talked a little bit about this last week, but let's develop it a little more. Back in the days when Paul lived, and up until, really until the uh, Revolutionary War, the way things operated in Europe and other countries is basically this. Whatever status you were born into, that's where you lived the rest of your life. Slaves were always slaves. Peasants were always peasants. Farmers were always farmers. Uh, academicians were always in academia. And theologians were in churches and in religion and those kind of things. And basically... Uh, here's how you determined what you were going to be when you grew up. You did what your daddy did. You did uh, that. Or if you were a female, you married somebody and maybe you could marry up uh, a little bit. You always would hope for that, but you may not either. You never know. And so uh, there were all of these guilds and trades and things like that. And uh, up until the uh, founding of the United States of America, that's just the way it worked. And if you were entitled, you've heard that term, we talk about entitlement programs and people feeling entitled. Well, that actually comes from a European thing that if you held the title a lady, a lord, a duke, or a duchess, or king or queen, or something like that, then you got certain rights and certain privileges that commoners and peasants and serfs, 
Well, they just didn't have. And they were just supposed to stay in their place, be happy, and do what they were made to do because you ruled and you had your title by divine right. And so you were better than everybody else. And so you were the landowner, you were the ruler, you were all of that. And everybody paid their due homage and their uh, taxes and things like that to you. And you lived a life they could only dream of. Okay. Now, it was only... Um, here in the founding of America that somebody could come over from Europe who uh, would have been maybe little more than a slave in European life, but they come here and they build a big business and they are an entrepreneur and they become wealthy and they become somebody or maybe they get involved in government, become president like Abe Lincoln, uh, somebody like that. Uh, this is something that in Paul's day, they would not understand, listen carefully, they would not understand our ambition or our idea of upward mobility. You know what that means? You can be better than your parents were. You can be better than your grandparents were. You can be better than your family was. You can be educated. You can make money. You can build a business. You can go into things that they never, ever dreamed of because we have a free society. Sometimes that hinders us from understanding the scripture. So as we read this today, think about the fact that they could not conceive of how you could ever better yourself or you could ever become one of the elites or the nobility or anything like that. That was closed off to the common man and common people. So think about that when we uh, read these verses. And uh, again, we're in Galatians chapter four and we're in verses one through seven. So Paul says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave. That's interesting, isn't it? Think about that. Though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by <clears throat> the father, even so we, that's an important phrase, even so we, that means we were the same way. When we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman like us, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now that's a big change in status. Adoption because we weren't naturally children of God, but he has chosen us and brought us into his family. Verse six, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now that is so incredibly pregnant with meaning that we sometimes miss because our society is completely different than their society. You would never, well, um, I suppose it's still this way in England, even though their monarchy is not like the old time monarchy with absolute power, there's still certain rules and protocols you follow. A commoner does not go up and approach the king of England 
or the Queen of England, as the case may be. They have to be invited in or they can come to you, but you can't just go up and say, yeah, I'm here, I've got an uh, 8.30 appointment with the Queen and just walk into the castle and go do that. It doesn't happen. If uh, royalty is walking by, even today, you're not allowed to reach out and touch them or do anything like that. That's not supposed to happen. And sometimes American dignitaries, presidents or whatever, will go over there. And I, I think uh, uh, President Obama or somebody else, they did a few, uh, and probably Trump, did a few no-nos that, uh, well, they had enough status, it didn't really matter. But you don't reach out and put your arm around the queen or give her a hug or the king or anything like that because you are of a different status when it comes to your life. You either are royalty, nobility, or you're a commoner, right? And some of those things, again, have moderated and kind of changed, but there was a day when that would, that would get you in a lot of trouble, and you didn't mix. When I was growing up in the military, some of that still exists. Officers did not live in the same place that the uh, NCOs and enlisted people live. We had a different neighborhood. We had a different, uh, different quarters. And uh, actually, the officers were not supposed to fraternize. I can say that, I think. And uh, with the enlisted men and all of that, there was always a difference between that because you have to have a certain respect and a certain uh, air about you if you're going to command others. My dad being a chaplain, it was a little different because he was supposed to meet with the troops and, and do those kind of things. So that was a little different, but we, but we lived like officers in the military because he indeed was an officer. Well, all of this was the way life really was in the ancient world. It wasn't just something we think about and go, boy, that stinks, doesn't it? It's the way it was. You could not change your trade. You could not change your status. You could not elevate yourself. You could not better yourself. That was not your place in life. You were what you were, and they believed that that was by their divine right. I'm a king, or I'm a nobleman. I have lots of money. I have servants. I have a castle. I have the pleasures of life, and you don't, and that's because I'm more favored than you are, okay? So when Paul writes about these things, he is pointing out something that probably most of the people in this region of Galatia would go, well, duh, you know, that's just the way it is. Except Paul seems to be talking about something saying that you are not what you used to be and you're not to be put down by anybody else because you have been elevated in your status by the grace of God, not because you earned it, not because you deserve it, not because you are entitled to it, but because of the grace of Almighty God. Your status before God in the kingdom of God has changed. It may not change in the kingdom of man, but it has changed in the kingdom of God. So, first of all, we are going to talk about an ancient principle. Young children are, quote-unquote, well, this is the nicest way I could think to put it. They are managed. You don't let a young child, even if he is the heir to the throne. Okay, let, let's say that um, we're going back in time a little bit. When was King Charles III born? Sometime in the 40s, I think. And so let's go back to pick, pick the date, uh, depending on whenever he was born. And uh, you can look it up in Wikipedia if you want to. 
And uh, let's say it's, uh, let's pick out 1947, let's say. And let's say that uh, King Charles III is two years old, okay? And Queen Elizabeth is on the throne and she's married to Prince Philip. And uh, they are to raise this child and he's being raised to be the heir apparent to the throne. He's going to be the king someday. Now, nobody knows when that's going to be because Queen Elizabeth doesn't know when she's going to die. She could die today. She could die in however many years uh, it was. Uh, he waited a long time to become king, didn't he? He's probably waking up every day going, is she ever going to die? But, uh, you know, he eventually made it. But his life now, he's in his 70s, isn't he? His life now is completely different than it was when he was two years old, even though he may have carried the same blood, the same bloodline, the same DNA, and the same future, and the same title, and all of that. But you don't turn the kingdom over to a two-year-old, do you? In fact, when he was that age, there was somebody telling him when he needed to eat, what he was going to eat, when he was going to go to bed, what he wore, uh, where they were going to go, all of that. And that's Paul's point that uh, now I say that the heir, I mean, even if he's the heir of the whole estate, he's a big shot. Um, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians, stewards, until the time appointed by the father. Um, back in the Roman Empire, they didn't have always a set date. It wasn't like when you turn 18, now all of a sudden you get everything, or 21, or whatever the case may be. It would be whenever the father has determined that you could take it over. Maybe he says you can take it over on my death, or maybe you can take it over when I'm 80. Maybe you can take it over when you're 25 or 30 or when you're married or something like that. It was a little bit more fluid and they could um, determine those kind of things. But until then, they, their life really didn't differ all that much from a servant or a slave. They were under someone else's authority. Someone else was making all the decisions for them. They were just simply the, uh, to quote Curly on the Three Stooges, I'm just a victim of circumstances. Remember when he would say that? That's the way they were. The circumstance of their life, the situation of their life controlled them. They didn't really control anything or anybody, not, not at least at that time. So Jews, Greeks, and Romans all kind of had, a, had coming of age rituals and uh, they may have a fortune, they may have a title, they may have a great inheritance here, but now they're under a guardian's control. What do we mean by a guardian? A guardian was a slave who took care of particularly young boys. Okay, he was a slave. Can you imagine you're going to be the master of the kingdom, the master of the estate someday, but right now you are under the authority of a common slave. You are under the uh, authority of a commoner, someone else. Why? Because you can't take care of yourself. There's someone else that has to take you to go potty. There's someone else that has to get, make sure you get a bath. There's someone else that makes sure you don't get into trouble. There's someone else that makes sure you're dressed the right way, that you're eating properly. All of that is taken care of by the guardian, a slave who took care particularly of young boys. Then um, we also think about there were managers in those days. 
that watched over property until the child becomes of age. And so uh, here's this child. He's king, going to be King Charles III, but right now he's just Prince Charles. He's two, and he doesn't really have any control over anything. But he's got this castle and this piece of property. What do they do? Just let it set and deteriorate and become overgrown until he's old enough to inherit it and take care of it? No, they have a manager. In ancient Rome and in ancient times, they did the same thing. I'm taking care of this for my future king. I'm taking care of this and making sure the grass is cut, making sure it's not overrun with rodents, make sure everything's in good repair, taking care of it until the day that this child can actually take the place of the manager. And then also there were tutors, and that usually was an old and trusted slave who was in charge of the child's moral welfare. See, when we think of a tutor, we think of academics. Well, that would be included in this, but it wasn't the whole thing. They also would spank your bottom. They also would discipline you. They also would restrict you from things. They would correct you when you were wrong. It was a, it was a big deal. And his main duty was to escort the child to school safely. And uh, they were often strict, making a child yearn for the day when they were free from the tutor. Okay? When the boy was an infant in the eyes of the law, he might be the owner of a vast property, but he would be, uh, but he could take no, make no legal decision, and he was not in control of his own life. Everything was done and directed for him, and therefore, for all practical purposes, he had no more freedom than if he were a slave. Not at that time. But when he became a man, he entered into his full inheritance. Eating, money, education, time, all of that, he had no control over until he became of age. We call it becoming an adult instead of being a minor, right? And then after that, then he can do anything he wants to uh, after that. So Paul is making the statement here, the comparison, that that's the way we were before we came to Christ. All we could do was just, you know, obey the rules and try to make it the best way you can in life. But something happened when we got saved. Well, let's go on to point number two. Childish knowledge and understanding is limited. Now, you may talk to somebody when they start school, and uh, sometimes this can be a young child, and they learned a little bit about, you know, the moon and the stars and the sun and the uh, solar system and that type of thing, but they don't know much. They just know the bare basic facts, but they think they know a lot. They think they know a lot. Okay, let's think about this. The child grows up, they go to college. Do you know there's nobody with more knowledge on earth than a freshman in college, right? I mean, they've got all the answers. They know all of this stuff. They've been exposed to all of it, but they don't fully understand it. They don't really see the ramifications of it. How many uh, people are running around now and they are so smart and so cool and so knowledgeable and they're embracing communism? That communism is the way we got to go. We'll all be equal and we'll all share in everything. And they have no idea of what has happened to communist countries and in communist countries over the years. They don't know what they don't know. And so they think they are so incredibly smart. 
And that's what we mean by this childish knowledge. It's good for children to learn, but they're limited. At some points, there's only some things they can comprehend, and so we keep it simple for them. There's no way they could understand it. They couldn't do physics or chemistry or anything like that. They can do some basic things, but not the real big-time stuff. You wouldn't want uh, to have a a 10-year-old, unless they're a genius, I guess, but an average 10-year-old in charge of your rocket ship if you're getting ready to go to the moon. You want somebody with age, and you want them with some experience and understanding, a knowledge of history, a knowledge of what has gone wrong before, because you don't want to repeat the same mistakes. They, uh, NASA learned a lot from Apollo 1 that uh, burned up and killed three astronauts. They learned a lot from their mistakes. They learned from Apollo 13 and those type of things. They've learned from some of the, some of the space shuttle disasters that we have been through. You see what I mean by all of that? And so uh, what happens here is a child that doesn't have the capability to learn or understand or a child who doesn't really have any particular knowledge, that's just a disaster waiting to happen. No experience. Disaster waiting to happen. And he says, even so we, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. Now, the word element, we might think scientifically, the table, uh, the chart of elements and that type of thing. But Paul doesn't mean that. In fact, when we think about a school, an elementary school has the word element in it. It's talking about the very basic things. When you're in elementary school, you don't learn what you learn in your master's degree or PhD in college. You learn the very elementary things. A and the, uh, see the cat, the dog ran, that, that type of stuff, right? Remember that? You learn how to spell. You learn how to do the elementary things. And the Bible says here that we were under the elementary things of the world. It's all we could do. It's all we knew. It's all we could understand. It didn't set us free. It didn't change us. But then again, we didn't know any better. So we just were functioning by the basics, just the ABCs, and mainly what other people said or what other people told us. And so um, when a child learns his ABCs, he can't uh, read or understand a legal document or anything like that, uh, he's got to learn and he's got to grow in all of that. I don't even understand a lot of the legal documents that I have to sign. I have to have somebody explain it to me. What does this mean? Why does it say it? Why is it worded like this? And uh, thank God that there are people who can do that for us, right? But uh, still kind of elemental in some areas of the world. Now, think about this. The lost world may have an elemental religion, they don't have an understanding of the Bible. Uh, sometimes they'll quote the Bible, but it's amazing how many times really smart people quote the Bible just completely out of context. They don't know the meaning of the words. They don't know how it fits into the revelation of God. They just don't get any of that. It's amazing how they can be on jeopardy. And when the Bible column comes up, how dumb they can be. That's the way the world is. And there are certain things, yeah, that are common in all world religions, but only in Christianity from the Bible do we find the truth and the wisdom of God. Some of the other ones, they kind of have a little bit and kind of a sort of, and doesn't the Bible say, and don't you think God would? And it's all speculation. They don't really understand righteousness, and they don't understand their sinfulness either. 
They can't because the natural mind does not discern the things of God. They don't understand redemption. They don't understand grace. It makes no sense to them. Their elemental things is just treat other people right and do the best you can and try to improve yourself. Okay? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, I quoted this too soon. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, children don't think long-term, and lost people don't really think about death or judgment or eternity. Okay? They, they just have no real concept of that. We'll deal with that. We'll cross that bridge whenever we get there, but I'm going to have some fun and really live it up while I'm here. They just don't get it. Number three, we find in verses four and five, God's intervention, because that's the only hope we have. But when the fullness of time had come, the right time, in other words, God sent forth not just anybody, but his son. And here's the amazing thing. His son, God's son, was born of a woman, just like we are. And he was born under the law, like we are. And he was doing it so that he could redeem those who were under the law, so that those people who were condemned by the law and their law breaking might actually receive the adoption as sons. So the fullness of time, it literally means the due date, the pleroma in Greek, or the time completed. And religiously, think about it. The Jews had bought the, brought the idea of monotheism into the Roman Empire. The Greeks and the Romans didn't believe in that, but the Jews did and brought that concept in. They brought the concept in of a deliverer, a Messiah, a king coming to them. And so people knew about that. That's why the wise men knew what they knew. And they come to Herod saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? They didn't know a lot, but they knew that. And they probably got that from way back when Daniel was one of the wise men of Persia. And so uh, it was the right time. There was a messianic expectation and the concept of monotheism had been introduced to the world. It was the right time politically. Rome is in control of everything and Rome has roads built and Rome has one language, the Greek language, that was a language of commerce. There's peace among the Roman Empire, the Pax Romana, they call it. And uh, all of this is perfect timing for the spread of the gospel. They also were uh, ready culturally. And uh, we think about, uh, again, the way that they did commerce and business so that the Bible, the New Testament could be written in Greek and it could be read by a Jew. It could be read by a Roman. It could be read by a Greek, of course. It could be read by nearly anybody who was literate because that was the universal language. And all of this stuff is happening and there's far more than that. But all of this points to the fact that Jesus is born and invaded earth at just the right time. God sent his son at the perfect time. That's why I didn't send him now or earlier. Perfect time, the pleroma, the fullness of time. And God is much more interested in timing over time. Why does God wait? Why doesn't God do something? Because God has timing more than just time. Timing is everything in all of this. And we see here that the Son of God was, was human, amazingly, born of woman. 
That speaks of the virgin conception and virgin birth of Christ. He's born under the law so that he could be under its weight and under its demands and yet perfectly keep it so that he could be qualified to die on the cross for us. And in his dying on the cross, then he redeemed us. We were bought out of the slavery of the law from the marketplace of a slave and we were brought into the family of God and into the kingdom of God. And notice he says, by adopted, by adoption. And uh, that's important because when under Roman law, when someone adopted a child, that child that was adopted could never be cast out of the family, never be disinherited. He had to receive a portion of the father's land and money title and status and all of that. Now, a natural born child could be disinherited, but not an adopted child. See what God did? It's a security of the believer. We're not only born into the family of God, but we are adopted into the family of God, which means it's a permanent thing. And on earth, we can't both adopt and birth a child into our family. It's one or the other, but God does both to make sure everything is covered for us. And so that's what we're talking about here. And uh, that's why adoption is uh, something we don't think about very much, but it's an important doctrine. It means you are permanently in the family of God for eternity. And he's given you his word and he has taken you on as uh, his child. And you're now his responsibility and in his family. So trust him and rest in him. And then number four, from childhood to adulthood in Christ. And it says in verse six, and because you are sons, that means a, a, a son with all of the rights and the privileges of an adult child. God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. God's no longer a stranger. He's no longer distant. And because of this, there is no one who outranks you in the family of God. God doesn't look around and say, just shut up and be quiet. I've got somebody important I'm talking to. No, he takes all of us as heirs, ready and fully qualified to take over the kingdom. Thankfully, uh, he doesn't do that yet. That'll happen later when we're glorified. But as the way he sees us is completed in Christ, fully uh, privileged, fully entitled, fully uh, adult sons of his ready to take over and to rule and reign with him. Isn't that amazing? And he says, therefore, and we can even use that term Abba Father, an endearing term to him, not a distant formal God somewhere off, but a close heavenly father who loves us with an everlasting love. And he says, therefore, you are no longer a slave or slave-like, like a child is, but you are a son, an adult privileged son. And if a son, then you are an heir of God because you have come of age through Christ. So God gives the Holy Spirit to his children and only his children and all of his children. You don't get saved and then get the Spirit of God later. You get him all right at that moment that you were saved. And God gives you, uh, gives us a loving and close relationship with him. Now, some people say, well, we can call him Abba. He's our Papa. He's our father. He's our daddy. He's all of that. And with all of that also comes a paddle. With that also comes discipline. 
With that also comes training and everything. So you got to take all of that together with it. It's not just that we get saved, we can do anything that we want. He keeps us and he is reforming us and he is changing us and he is teaching us as we do that because of his great love. And so we have the full standing and accountability of an adult child, a son or an heir, as Paul says, with God. So in conclusion, don't ever be envious of the lost or the law-keeping religionist or moralist. You have a status by grace that is given by God's grace through Christ by faith. And so now you are one who is going to inherit the kingdom. You're an heir of God. But it's not like God's going to say, here's a penny, enjoy that, you don't deserve anything. He says you're an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. You are going to share in the inheritance with the older brother who gets the lion's share of everything. And one day we're going to rule and we're going to reign with him and he's going to make sure we are ready and that we are qualified and that we know exactly what we are doing because he's going to do it through us and we're going to do it with him. What a privilege we have to be liberated from the childishness of this world to have our nature changed, to receive the Spirit of God, to have a new relationship with God, a personal, family-friendly relationship with God, and to be able to rule and to reign with Him. Does that bless you? I hope it does, and I hope it encourages you. You're not a nobody in Christ. The world may not recognize it, but you are the child of a king, and you have all the rights and the privileges that any Christian, whether it's the Apostle Paul or whether it's just you, you have all the rights and privileges equally before God because of the grace of God. Hallelujah for that. Amen? And so take advantage of it. That's why we pray. That's why we serve Him. That's why we get to know Him. That's why we receive His discipline gladly. That's why we read the Word of God. All of this is because of what He has done for us. So thank you for your time. We'll let you go now. Thank you, teachers, for all that you do. May the Lord bless you and bless you richly this next week as a child of God.